Welcome to the Denton's Toronto Business Insights Podcast. I'm Blair McCready, the Managing Partner of Denton's Toronto. And on this podcast, we discuss topics and trends to help general counsel and executives grow, protect, operate, and finance their businesses in Toronto and beyond. So in the not-for-profit sector, there are ever-changing requirements around corporate governance. And so today, we're taking a look at some of the trends we're seeing that are emerging and how boards and executives in the not-for-profit space can respond. That's why I'm pleased to welcome my partner, Pamela Shin, who specializes in charities and not-for-profit law. Pamela recently joined Denton's after holding senior legal leadership roles at a large national and a large global charity. So let's jump right in. So uh, what emerging corporate trends are you seeing crossover from the private sector? And how are those playing out in the nonprofit context? Thanks, Blair. I think there's definitely overlap between the two worlds. Uh, and a few topics that nonprofit boards are keeping top of mind right now include things like uh, responding to geopolitical shifts, keeping up with the war for talent, uh, starting to reconnect more and in, in, in person with key stakeholders, whether they are funders, implementing partners or policymakers. And then another big topic is around reimagining. And this can involve things like refreshing strategy, uh, culture, and everything in between, including operations. So let me pick up on your point around reimagining. Um, I know that a number of my not-for-profit clients are now reframing their focus coming out of the pandemic or in response to broader economic and global events. So as not-for-profit organizations pivot, what kinds of legal considerations should they be implementing from a procedure or a governance perspective? Yeah, so a few things come to mind, and, and I think to start... Regular board updates with integrated reporting on things like enterprise risk management implications and including legal and compliance considerations in those implications. Nonprofits should also be holding regular audit and risk committee sessions with a view to making key recommendations to the board, as well as having regular management sessions on reimagining and ensuring that legal and compliance integration into workshops and work streams is all connected. Um, because we're talking about the nonprofit sector, you'll see these pivots take a diverse range of shapes and forms. Uh, for instance, there's the International Humanitarian Aid Organization that is focused on um, education and training. And some of these organizations have had to redeploy funds that might've been meant for things like in-person learning programs to things like remote learning programs wherever possible. And then in certain contexts where digital infrastructure is lacking um, in different regions of the world uh, and remote learning is not even an option, the organization has had to further pivot to create new programs and to fund digital access and even explore new programmatic pillars altogether in things like healthcare, for instance. And so, Pamela, as, as not-for-profits shift their focus or activities, what are some of the key issues that business or legal leaders in the not-for-profit sector need to consider from a governance or compliance perspective? 
Yeah, so for legal counsel, this is really meant paying even closer attention to geopolitical shifts and the impact of these shifts for our clients. Um, in addition to a deeper and broader consideration of legal and compliance triggers through the reimagining process. So some examples could be, you know, asking questions around, are the proposed shifts aligned with the corporate objects? Uh, do changes need to be made? These are basic questions, but it all goes back to the basics and the fundamentals of a corporate identity when you're thinking about reimagining. Um, asking questions like, do the proposed shifts have any impact on whether or not the organization can even maintain its charitable status? In some instances, organizations might be thinking about different revenue generating considerations. And so how might that impact charitable status? Um, certainly, there are other questions around, you know, do the proposed shifts trigger compliance with uh, corporate bylaws, policies, laws, or otherwise, because these shifts can really go across an entire organization. A key takeaway that we're suggesting for our clients is to ensure that whenever mission-critical dis discussions are at stake, that legal counsel should be involved as key advisors. Thank you, Pamela. Now, um, let's shift topics a bit. So there have been calls in the charitable sector to increase disbursement quotas and inject more funding into the sector coming out of the pandemic. Now, I understand that the federal government recently passed legislation to increase disbursement quotas. Is that correct? Yes. Bill C-32, uh, the Fall Economic Statement Implementation Act 2022, received royal assent on December 15th, 2022. Bill C-32 implements a number of changes to the disbursement quota, in short, the DQ, uh, including an increase to a graduated rate of 5% for the portion of a charity's investment property in excess of a million dollars. This DQ increase applies for fiscal years beginning in 2023. And so is this increase in disbursement quotas an effective tool for charities? Well, the topic has led to much debate in Canada uh, regarding the effectiveness of the DQ increase tool from an impact perspective. The mandatory increase in spending can, in theory, be an effective tool for injecting more funding into the sector. And whether or not the DQ increase is an effective tool for achieving sustainable impact remains to be seen. Okay, so, so if an organization increases its disbursement quota, what things do senior leaders in the charities and not-for-profit space need to consider from a governance or compliance perspective? Yeah, so for many organizations, uh, the theory of change is not based on funding requirements. It, a higher DQ impacts board and management judgment but it doesn't remove it. Uh, the DQ impacts how much a charity must annually disperse in order to maintain its charitable status. Now, where a higher DQ may impair judgment is where a strategic decision requires certain focus that would otherwise become diluted if an organization is forced to make different decisions only to meet its DQ. The DQ increase topic has also led to much concern for a minority of charities that will face unique challenges in light of this change. 
in light of their asset sizes or gift agreements, um, these may present constraints on how the assets can and can't be dispersed. The legislation has just been passed, and if charities haven't already done so, they should gain clear insight on how this is going to affect their disbursement plans. They should be thinking about how to comply with this new requirement and making it make sense for their organizations. In addition to the increase in disbursement quotas and the legislation that we've just talked about, what are some of the other recent legislative changes where senior leaders in the charities and not-for-profit space need to have visibility? Yes, so I'll start with the Budget Implementation Act 2022, number one. In short, we'll call it the BIA. Uh, this introduced changes to the Income Tax Act, and some of the changes have begun to address key operational difficulties that the Canadian charity law landscape has posed to partnerships between Canadian registered charities and many domestic and international organizations. Um, before the BIA, a charity under the Income Tax Act could only spend its resources on either disbursements by way of a gift to a qualified donee or by carrying on its own activities. And so under the own activities regime, all the charity's physical and financial resources, including staff and volunteers, must be devoted to carrying out the charity's own activities. So that means you know, working with intermediary organizations that are non-qualified donees, must, uh, the charities must direct and control those activities conducted on their behalf. So charity stakeholders have long noted that the own activities regime impedes many forms of valuable charitable partnerships. Uh, CRA guidance on this topic specifically prescribes the means of collaborating with non-qualified donees through direction and control requirements. So Pamela, what is a qualified donee? And so this is a term also that's defined under the Income Tax Act, and it includes Canadian registered charities, the UN and its agencies, several foreign charities, and even certain universities outside of Canada and some others. But the important thing to note is that uh, charities in other countries, while they may be tax exempt in those jurisdictions, they're generally not qualified donees in Canada. And in addition, nonprofits in Canada that don't have charitable status are also not qualified donees. So for Canadian charities wanting to collaborate internationally or even domestically with nonprofits that aren't charities, or even with the private sector, options have really been limited. Now, I also understand that the CRA has developed a new model of qualifying disbursements. Can you tell us a bit about that? And how does that change affect how a charity or not-for-profit organization partners with third parties? Yes, qualifying disbursements is a new collaboration model under the Income Tax Act in Canada. And so as of June 23rd, 2022, registered charities may now also consider providing qualifying disbursements to organizations that are not qualified donees. Um, and this would be without requiring those disbursements to qualify as the charity's own activities. So while the new qualifying disbursement option appears to move toward greater flexibility for partnerships with uh, Canadian charities, uh, these disbursements 
still have a number of requirements associated with them, including uh, they must be in furtherance of a charitable purpose. They must be exclusively applied to charitable activities in furtherance of a charitable purpose of the charity. And the charity must maintain documentation sufficient to demonstrate two things. One, that the purpose for which the disbursement is made is carried out. And two, that the grantee organization that receives the disbursement exclusively applies that disbursement to charitable activities in furtherance of a charitable purpose of the charity. So in essence, a charity can now make disbursements to non-qualified donees if such activity, one, ensures that the resources are used exclusively for charitable activities that further a charitable purpose of the charity, and two, the charity maintains documentation sufficient to evidence this. So for, for our, the purpose of our discussion, I'll refer to these as accountability measures. So on November 30th, 2022, CRA released its draft guidance on registered charities making grants to non-qualified donees, uh, which once finalized, this will be a useful resource for charities that wish to leverage this new collaboration model. The draft guidance contains plenty of helpful content, including CRA's suggested risk-based approach to determining which tools may be used to meet the accountability measures I mentioned. Um, tools like due diligence reviews, uh, a written agreement, monitoring and reporting, and the like. So the draft guidance is open for public comment until January 31st, 2023. And at, and at this stage, without the draft guidance being final, organizations should consider how they currently partner with others to achieve their mission, uh, and whether this new collaboration model can be a positive addition to the toolkit, and then lastly, how it can and should be employed. Well, Pamela, thank you for sharing all of those insights and, and thanks to all of you for listening. Stay tuned for future episodes of the Toronto Business Insights podcast series, which you can find on our dentons.com podcast page. Uh, on that page, you can access other episodes of this podcast, as well as descriptions for each topic and information on all of our speakers. Dentons is a global legal practice providing client services worldwide through its member firms and affiliates. This podcast is not designed to provide legal or other advice, and you should not take or refrain from taking action based on its content. Please see dentons.com for legal notices. Thanks very much. Mm -hmm.